man going up gets stopped by Sabu. No, he shakes off Sabu, and the Sandman's going to get hold of that board wire. Hello, my name is Bob Bamble. Welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're back in the time machine to January 1998 for Volume 3 of this month's show. Two of the volumes show this month. Volume number one takes us to the WWF looking at the Royal Rumble. And volume number two takes us to the WCW looking at Sold Out. We're here in volume number three. I'm being joined as always by Chris Lacey. Chris, good evening. Good evening, Bob. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. And Billy Johnson. Billy, hello. Uh, welcome to the show. Hello, Bob. And hello, Chris. Hello. Um, as always, we will start uh, with the news. Uh, it's not like the others. I should know this by now. Chris, uh, we start. It, it's sort of it's sort of bombastic month of news in ECW. Um, but a, a brawl did break out in the parking lot of one of their shows. Yeah. So uh, Sonny and Chris Candido were getting into their show after the house party event uh, this month, uh, and some fans leaving the bar next door to the ECW arena were, got into a little bit of a kerfuffle. Depending on the sources, either Sonny's car was blocked or her car was blocking the bar patrons. In any case, a verbal argument ensued when it looked as though the tempers were about to get well out of control. Outcome of all people to calm the situation, Sabu. At that point, someone then decided to throw a beer at Sonny. It may or may not have been a bar patron or someone leaving the ECW arena themselves. A fight then broke out between Sonny, Candido, Sabu, and over 10 other people. Candido concentrated on protecting Sonny, which was all very manly of him, while Sabu decided to fight everyone. By that point forward, the rest of the locker room came out, and it's believed about 20 people were involved in the fight. And the bar patrons started to use chairs as weapons. In an interesting turn... New Jack boasted later that the wrestlers began hitting everyone and security had to hold him back because they were worried what he would get into. Eventually, Paul Heyman came out and corralled all the wrestlers back into the arena and got the situation under control. I do like this story. It's like a perfectly normal story of, you know, something happens involving Sonny, very attractive woman, you know, drunken people, etc., etc., Things get a bit flary, fight starts to break out, Sabu comes out, tries to be a bit of a hero, Candido comes out, defends his girlfriend, everything's all well and fine, things get out of control. But New Jack comes along and apparently just works an angle where he seems to get involved in a fight, he ended up bleeding, like I'm not going to rule out the idea that he bladed during a, a, a fight in the parking lot, it's always possible. Um, and New Jack just made the most New Jack possible situation out of that, uh, out of that scenario. Uh, Chris, Turn away crowd. So the event that we had this kerfuffle at, at the, on the tenth of this month was a turn away crowd um, with over one thousand six hundred and fifty people in the building, and a reported four to five hundred people being turned away at the door. So could this have led to some of those people that couldn't get in, then being sort of there and involved in the kerfuffle? Who knows? That's a long ass time to wait, though, isn't it? You get to a show at seven o'clock, you wait until half past eleven to get in a fight. Well, if they've been, you know, they couldn't get in, they went to the bar next door and got on it. <sighs> yeah, that, that's a theory, Chris. I think we'll move on from that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anything else, Chris? Do you, do you want to move on to the, the, the house yeah, party next, results, etc.? Uh, we've got three more news stories as well for the next. Oh, we do. Sorry, I, I can't read your notes here. Um, yes, it, it looked like one continuous paragraph. That's why I waited. Um, yeah. Flash Funk is in ECW, uh, and he's too cold Scorpio. Yeah, so Two Cold Scorpio appeared at ECW for a one-shot deal as he is not scheduled for any more ECW appearances. The one-night loan was in exchange for the Fed using Cactus Jack and Terry Funk footage. And some injury updates. So, Stevie Richards' neck is healing faster than expected, but he's also had some vocal cord damage, which, as they've said, he may require additional surgery. Mikey Whitbrack atroscopic knee surgery and will be available to start back very soon, but he's believed to be kept, being kept back to hold up heat for an angle. And Chris Candido has a partially torn bicep. And finally, the latest on the Eric Kuller situation. So there was a hearing on the 28th of January at Reva, Massachusetts, where the Kulis family attempted to get the magistrate's decision not to prosecute New Jack overturned. The family has not sued ECW or New Jack, but they've only pressed criminal charges against New Jack. Heyman has offered the Kulis family a small settlement largely to cover all medical expenses, but this has been turned down. Any of that. Uh, Billy, welcome to the show. Uh, any thoughts on any of the news? It's a quiet month in ECW, but anything that's that's come up either from there or anything you've read? Uh, well, it doesn't sound like much of a quiet night in the parking lot for most of the boys. Um, no, I've, I've really got anything apart from the silly comments to add, really. That was about the best I could do, really. Sometimes you can only do the best with the uh, material provided. Uh, Chris, speaking of which, uh, starting with the first TV review of the month. So the first week's TV was on the 5th of January, opened up with highlights of Tiger Mask versus The Great Sasuke. This match was interrupted when Jason and Justin came out, but Sasuke won with a crucifix bomb. There's highlights of various matches, sort of very much short form. Then we see a match between Justin and Pablo Marquez, where Justin, Justin gets Jason some ladies. Jason gets Nicole Bass. Bass comes out, powerbombs Marquez. We don't even get a match. At this point, he calls out anyone from New York. We don't see a payoff for this, as it then goes to highlights of the Dudleys versus New Jack and Spike, which is highlights of the York walking brawl and seeing the Dudleys win with 3D. We're meant to get a match between Brackus and Paul Diamond. Um, he puts Brackus puts Diamond in the full Nelson until out comes Taz. Referee John Jones does try to stop him, but gets head and arm Taz flexed. He then faces off with Brackus until RVD and Sabu come out. Then out comes the Sandman, followed by Furnace and the Font. The heels have the advantage. Then Tommy and Al come out to even the odds. Snow clears the ring with head. We then get a match between RVD, Sabu, Furnace and Lafont against Taz, Al Snow, Tommy Dream and Sandman. Starting the match, Fonzie pisses off all of the crowd by calling Taz a New York pussy. We get the usual tag team multi-man brawl to start with pairs coming in the ring and doing their little spots. Taz and Sabu start. We then get Sandman and RVD in the ring and then Furnace and Lafont and Furnace and Tommy in the ring. We slows down when Furnace hits a belly-to-belly. Everyone starts using chairs, 
we get Sabu hitting a triple jump leg drop through a table on the outside through Sandman. At this point, they all get back into the ring where Taz waits for a tag. He's applying by tag team rules unlike anyone else in ECW. There's multiple uh, heel triple team tag moves, but Taz still won't go in and break them up. And Sandman gets a good hiding. He finally manages to get the hot tag to Taz, where Taz comes in and hits Taz flexes on everyone and puts the Taz mission on Sabu. Out come Baracus and pretty much everyone in the locker room comes out to split them up. We get the standard Bueller and Fonzie fight. She hits a DDT on him, but Sandman hits her with a stiff lariat. Furnace and Funk go for a double suplex, but Al makes the save with head, smashing everyone with it and getting a quick roll-up win for the victory. Let's move on to... I say, no, Chris, oh, I suppose Chris, I actually seen this show. Chris, anything from that that is of note? It, it looked like a, a skippable show to me. Yeah, um, you know, the, the 10-man tag was okay as like, the first thing back, but pretty much uh, they're resting on what footage they've clearly taped last year just to fill out the first show of the year. Yeah, I think that was one of the things. Billy, same question? Yeah, it really wasn't a very good show. Um, I think the only thing really that piqued my interest was uh, Jason and Nick Elbass. And what happened there, and then it just sort of went nowhere. <laughs> it's good to see Jason providing his uh, public service, if nothing else. On to ECW House Party 1998. Billy kicks off with the results. Okay, the team of Axel Rotten, Bulls Mahoney, and Tommy Drina defeated the FBI. Uh, Jerry Lynn defeated Chris Candino. Grand Hamada defeated Grand Nanoa. Uh, Al Snow uh, beat Roadkill. Just Incredible defeated the Great Sasuke. Uh Rob Van Dam defeated Bam Bam Bigelow. Taz defeated Two Cold Scorpio. The Dudley Boys beat uh, New Jack, Spike Dudley, and John Cronus. And in a, a stairwell, stairway to hell match, the Sandman beat Sabu. The stairwell to hell match is a. Uh... A very different uh, concept. Uh, ben, I'll open to you. Uh, first ECW show, or first time on our show as well. Um, what do you think? Uh, I I enjoyed the show. Um, it was it was a bit hit and miss at some stages. Um, some of the matches were weren't as great as I thought they would be. But, uh, there really wasn't anything special. It was an okay show, I suppose. <laughs> Chris? ECW have started this year with a very high watermark. Um, this probably one of the best shows that I've, I can remember seeing ECW doing. Again, they seem to save these ones not for pay-per-views, but doing them as the home video releases. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty awesome show all the way through. You've got your violence, you've got your decent wrestling, you've got some comedy. Yeah, it literally ticks all the boxes of ECW. I'm trying to work out what the phrase "very high watermark" means. Um, but there we but are. They've, they've set a level which I, everything I, else. I, I was to... joking. I think you were looking for waterline. Was uh, what, what you may have been? Uh, Where we going for? Anyway, anyway. Bad jokes aside, I thought this was one of the best ECW shows I've seen. 
Um, uh, you know, I, I, the best ECW show I believe I have seen was uh, November to Remember 1995. Um, into that, I think that won our show of the year that year. Um, admittedly, not in a great deal of competition, it should be said. Um, but for me, that had a lot of the variety that that, that makes ECW so good. And at the time, they had, uh, I think, Rey Mysterio was on that show. I think Steve Austin was on that show. God, you you look back at things like that. Um, and you know, not to say they've had a bad couple of years since. There's been some good shows, but overall, I think as they've lost access to to some of those great workers, the the, the general you know waterline sorry chris of uh of uh, of those shows has generally generally gone down a little bit um this was i think one of the better examples of them getting it right more recently and they seem to have a lot more balance than normal um they seem to have a well book show uh with some good matches some good angles some coherent booking um and then that's a good case that's the best ECW main event I've ever seen I'd have to go through and try and think about that um, but an absolutely chaotic main event as we've uh, as we shouldn't really be surprised these days from uh, from Sabu and Sandman um, anyway we'll open up the show the full-blooded Italians Little Guido and Tracy Smothers uh, and Tommy Richard which is a six-man tag versus Axe Rotten Balls Mahoney and Tommy Drew with Beulah McGillicutty Little Guido is out with a trophy. The FBI are out with an Italian flag with Rich's face on it. Rich grabs the mic, runs down Bueller. They've got what looks like a bowling trophy for the six-man title. He says they beat the Fritos, Freebirds for them, which gets a big bullshit chant from the crowd, and then shut the fuck up. Smothers joins in. Balls has taken a seat in the corner. They're the six-man world heavyweight champions. Fans respond by chanting Tracy Swallows. They're already swinging their fo- their big kind of foam heads above their heads. Uh, we'll see those later. Uh, Axel grabs the mic. He calls Rich a big drunk. He says, if you want Dreamer, you've got him. I think we actually might finally get this match underway. Dreamer make- marks a big line in the ring. He wants Rich. Fans chant, you fuck, fuck up. Well, it could be any of them, really. The FBI hold back Rich. We finally lock up with Dreamer and Guido. Guido slams Dreamer and then gets the kiss on the cheeks from Rich and Smothers. Dreamer holds up Guido in a full Nelson then drops him onto the map. He hits a frog splash, pulls out the pin and smothers splashes Guido attempting to break it up. Twice Rotten and Audrey manage to team up with a member of the FBI and accidentally force them to do the FBI double elbow. The FBI are in control of the match with respective tags for a shockingly long amount of time but it's finally broken down. Bent referee Jeff Jones comes out in a neck brace. He throws powder into the eyes of the faces, then low blows one of them. Uh, they're all FBI at this point. That is to say, the action is quite flat. Smothers puts Rotten in a sleeper. Referee Jones on the outside, chilling for the FBI. He's not refereeing the match anyway. Tommy Rich finally wants to tag in. Now Rotten is there for the taking. He pulls his shirt up and fans chant, you fat fuck. Balls gets in a hot tag. We get lots of balls chance. He takes on all three of them. Dreamer jumps Jones back into the ring. We get a triple roll up by the FBI. Dreamer's D, uh, Dreamer DDT's Guido. Jones cuts up the referee counting the pin. Bueller kicks Jones in the nuts. Referee Jim Mollo hits him with a DDT. And I think Bueller counts a double pin or something like that, but the faces win anyway. After the match, Rich grabs the mic and he says the match is non-title. I'm sure they got it about that. We end the segment with Jim Mollo channeling Tommy Dreamer. Stretches his arms out wide and shouts, EC fucking W. Chris. This was awesomely fun. Um, 
I obviously we normally have Eric on with the SW stuff, and he he brings out this thing about how much he loves the FBI. And when you see them doing this, you can see why people have such a, a fondness for them. Um, they they are the perfect comedy fools. They they are that level where they should be hated because they're southern old-fashioned wrestlers but they've just got this knack of being <coughs> so good as heels that you just want to see them get a fucking hiding and then bringing up obviously the Von Erics and the Freebirds and Dusty all at the beginning saying about the, the six-man titles just like just made them even more heat in a sort of you know we're in this Near the, near the millennium when we're talking about teams from the 80s uh, is is great and Tommy Balls and Axel held up their end and it was an entertaining fun opener Benny okay so it was a uh, yeah it was a fun six man tag um, I enjoyed uh, the promo to begin with from Tommy Rich um, it was a lot of fun um, uh, the way he got his heat and everything and then uh, they basically Tommy Rich, uh, they built up the hill tag perfectly for him to come in and get come up and throw on the baby faces. A bit of a silly finish, but as it's a comedy match, you really can't hold it against it. Um, I suppose that's that's it, really, from my point of view. Yeah, I, you know, like the I, I, I'm not as high on the FBI as as Chris or Eric. Um, they're growing on me a bit. You know, I, I think at least now they are. I feel like they're good at what they're trying to do, which I don't really feel like they were, certainly around, say, a year ago when Rich was starting and he was just horrendous to watch. At least now he's horrendous to watch in a way that feels like it's productive. Um, the match was okay. As I say, it, it held together as a tag team match for far longer than most ECW tag matches do, you know, which is is something at least. I, I think one thing that they said about ECW and we said about ECW before is that as much as there is that whole thing with the drawing to the outside, going into the crowd, etc., you don't want to do it for every match. You don't want to kind of blow that spot too early. So this being a, a nice standard tag match with, you know, broke down eventually – it was a bit overbooked at the end. It was, I think, in a funny kind of way. Like, I almost wonder whether they laid out the card and went, we've actually got quite a decent set of finishes here. We can probably afford one early in terms of one that's like a properly layered finish. Um, quite well executed. You know, Tommy Dreamer kind of having a month off in the opening spot, but nothing else for him at the moment. Yeah, it was fine. Uh, anyway, we move on. To Chris Candida against Jerry Lynn. Candida gets fouled up as fans chant Sonny's fucking Vince. He's also getting annoyed at the balloon, uh, that there's some balloons around and has a ledge pull of the hair. He gets time to contemplate as Lynn, uh, as a Lynn drop kick sends him to the floor. He goes through a leapfrog. Lynn just stalls and kicks him in the nuts and follows that with a hurricane runner. Candida gets a big swinging net breaker and to take control and follows that with a leg drop from the second rope. He gets cocky after a couple of chops. Candido takes a drop kick for his troubles. Lynn attempts a leapfrog for his own, but Candido slams him with a power bomb. Then a big stalling suplex. This actually gets some sustained applause. Candido goes for a body scissors. Lynn just slams into the mat. Lynn follows out with a lovely tilt. Well, head scissors. Or head scissors, if I can talk properly. Candido gets drop kicked to the floor, then throws into the crowd. Lynn goes to the top and hits a big plancher into the first row of fans. 
Well, shit. Lin charges across the apron, goes for a flip dive over the guardrail. Only problem is that he clipped his foot on the guardrail as he goes over, and he kind of just crashed and burned and ate a bit of concrete. He's okay, though, and we carry on. Lin goes after Candido's arm. He does a leg drop onto it. Candido rides in pain. Lin locks in the armbar, and Candido immediately taps out. Billy? Yeah, um, this was uh, it was an okay match. Um, it wasn't anything special, but then... Uh, I believe Chris Candino's working hurt. He's got um, a torn bicep at the moment. He's not the only guy working hurt on this show, or it feels like it sometimes, but yes. <laughs> 90% of the UCW roster is uh, working hurt all the time. Um, but I did enjoy, I like the fact that Candino was able to like basically slow the match down to begin, uh, to begin with and did a lot of stalling. Obviously, you know, trying to hide for his injuries and everything, but... The match was a bit clunky in places, but I could sort of forgive Candino because he's obviously very hurt. And um, it, I liked the quick finish, if that is going to be Jerry Lynn's finishing hold from now on. They've done well to establish that. Yeah, big fan of people just getting in a submission and going, yeah, fuck it. I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ride around in pain here for 30 seconds and tap out, just do it. It looks a bit, it looks, uh, yeah, it's kind of work for Taz, I suppose, as well. Chris, what do you think? I think it's an awesome match. Um, again, Candido is awesome. I know we say it pretty much every, every month. And the fact that, obviously, going in with a bit of damage on the arm that he's clearly done more to it during the match just shows how good he is because he could still pull off such a good match. Um, Jerry Lynn, I'm surprised that he it wasn't on the shelf after that landing on the railings because that was uh, a bit stiff. Um, I think it would have been better if he even landed on the railings. He kind of kind of got, got whiplash going over them. I think and ended up landing on the floor. But uh, yeah, sorry, Chris, carry on. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do with Lynn. I think, as we've always said, there's always that sort of middle tier in ECW where the good wrestlers are and you get the good wrestling matches. You know, he's not going to be there in matches that probably against Douglas or with your Sandmans and your Sabus and things like that. But I think him and RBD could be a good pairing. Obviously, um, him and uh, Just Incredible could be decent. Him and Al Snow. So I think there's a lot that they can do with Jerry Lynn going forward. And, you know... A win over Candido obviously doesn't do a great deal for him at the moment, but in the long term sort of shows what he can do and hopefully um, they'll keep him sort of doing more with these sort of guys. Yeah, um, it's a point I make quite a bit on the ECW shows, but this is, uh, this is the kind of match I don't know that we'd have got a year ago. I don't know that ECW had the kind of depth of, of rotation to be able to put this kind of match on second involving guys this good. I mean, not that Lynn was around at the time. Um, but it's nice now that you feel like they've got a, you know, a few, I don't know whether I'm doing them a disservice calling them good hands, but I think it's, it's a good starting point. If nothing else, Jerry Lynn's probably a bit better than that. Um, but yeah, just a good wrestling match involving two good wrestlers in front of a crowd that will appreciate this style. Um, yeah, I think on, on the Lynn front, a bit like Candido, well, they're not that you want to take all these, you know, quite bland wrestlers and give them all Al Snow type gimmicks. Um, I think, 
you know, unless you're just going to make Lynn like, yeah, you know, I think you could afford to have one guy that's very straight up and down. Maybe Lynn is that guy. Um, maybe they're going to have to give him a bit more, but he's only been there recently. So I guess we'll, uh, We'll give them time to work that out. We will next to Gran Aniwa versus Grand Hamada as the fans start hard with the USA chant. Of course they do. And you know, starts it out with a leg lock and then does the neck snap through the second rope. Hamada slides out of the head, this is into a leg submission of sorts. He hits a big slingshot splash to the floor. And you know what goes straight into it with straw hat guy he seems to spit in his face too. Now, I'll be able to say this probably a bit. Naniwa does a figure four through the ring post. That's great. Naniwa kind of just does this kind of crabs, crab walk along the inside of the second rope. That looked really interesting. Just shimmied across to his side and then jumped onto Hamada, who responds to the Hurricane Rana. Naniwa comes off the top, attempts to a clothesline. Hamada catches him straight into an armbar, which is really nice. Naniwa slides over to the bottom rope. Hamada comes off the second rope with a swinging DDT. The ref counts three. Naniwa kind of kicks out, but kind of doesn't. The match is over, but except it's not because the both wrestling involved thought, well, that wasn't the finish, so they carried on. Hamada hits a big hurricane runner off the top. He then goes for the cover. The ref car looks in for a bit. Hamada looks back at him. There goes, all oh, right, so he counts the three. And this time the match is really over. Chris. So I'm going to get this out of the way first. Sometimes the ECW fans make a match with their chanting. Sometimes they're just arseholes. Chanting USA at the beginning of that, this, just for the sake of it, just makes them arseholes. Um, and I think that stifled the beginning of this match a bit. I felt that it took, took a bit of time to get going. And then obviously you had that bit with what looked like Hatman spitting at Naniwa. Um, it just, it just took it away from what could have been the beginning part of this match. Um, obviously the end didn't help that obviously there was that mini botch of when the pin was taken, it was probably meant to be a two. And then the original finish being the, the super hurricane It was good, but I feel that it could have been better. Hey. So, uh, yeah, this, it was, this match really, these two didn't seem to click very well. Maybe it was due to, as Chris pointed out, the ECW crowd being assholes. Uh, that could have possibly, uh, you know, thrown them off their game because I've seen some other staff with these guys in from Michinoku Pro and they've always delivered and had great matches. So I was a bit disappointed that these two didn't seem to, to gel so well here. And with the finish, the finish being what it was, you know, they botched it. It, it happens. And yeah, that's really all I've got to say about the match. I was going to ask about the, the, the finish, Billy. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the crab reaction or lack thereof came before it, but I, I, I kind of wonder whether it, it, what happened with the, the finish or lack thereof kind of endorsed the crowd that didn't really buy either of these guys as, well, to, well, no pun intended, credible. Yeah, though, they, they, I don't think a lot of them have been watching their Michinoku Pro tapes and I don't think they really knew who they were and they just basically shat all over it really, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, we've seen this kind of style of match before involving no-name guys. I think, you know, a lot of times what happens is that the 
the no-name guys, if you put two of them in there, which is tricky, although I'd rather watch this than a lot of other potential alternatives in this situation. A lot of times what happens is it starts out quiet, and generally it's up to the talent involved to kind of get the crowd invested. They didn't do a brilliant job of getting the crowd invested, even though there were times where I think it was, uh, was it Hamada who was kind of getting into it with, uh, no, sorry, it was Naniwa who was getting into it with, with uh, the guy with the straw hat in the front row. You thought, oh, maybe they're trying to build something here, and then that never really went anywhere and it just yeah it, I, I call it okay but maybe I'm doing maybe I'm doing them yeah, more credit than they deserve it's, a, it's an average match it's it's a very forgettable match um, and, and the crowd I think responded in kind would be my uh, my polite way of putting it uh, next up out comes Out Snow and the fans of all of these white foam heads which looks really really good uh, after the music stops, the fans start clapping with the he- clapping with their he- the head in their other hand. Fans shout, "We've got head, we've got head!" You know, they- they're just doing it for the puns, really. Uh, and up next is Al Snow versus Amish Roadkill. Roadkill starts out on top. Snow hits a nice sit-up spine buster, and the fans make a lot of noise with their heads. Paul Diamond gets involved. He goes for a splash, but Snow moves. He lands on Roadkill. Snow hits the snowplow. Chastity hits the ring and tends to Diamond. Roadkill ends up crashing into Chastity. Snow grabs his head and hits Roadkill in the nuts. Fans, classy as they are in Philadelphia, chant, take her, top off. Snow hits a snowplow on her. It's less of an innuendo than it sounds. Snow hits Roadkill in the head with head, and he wins the match. Snow asks the fans to give him a little head. They then launch those into the ring. He throws some back, and he says, I guess everybody got some head tonight. Uh, Billy, you can do so without cutting any puns. Um, this was a match all about Al Snow and his head. Uh, yes, um, I did like the snowstorm at the beginning. Um, that was a bit bit strange, but, you know, it, it was a good visual on, on the screen with all the heads and everything uh, in the crowd. Um, basically, this match was nothing more than an extended squash, in my opinion. Uh, it, it's a good idea. You know, Al Snow's incredibly over, so why not do that here? Chris? Yeah, as Billy's just said, it's basically a squash match. Um, but there's sometimes that they do these things just for the visuals so they can then use them again on highlight reels and hype tapes and things like that. And that entrance where everyone in the crowd is banging head along with him whilst the prodigy is blaring out. And then the bit when they're all lobbing the heads into the ring at the end. That is what this whole match was set up to do, is to get those two moments that are now immortalised on tape. Al Snow is now a big deal. You know, you look back at um, the Funk and Cactus uh, bit when they lobbed all the chairs into the ring. That was, what, four years ago now? And yet it's still... Oh, man. Uh, Well, yeah, it would have been 94, so yeah. That's still on the beginning of the ECW entrance package even though the, both of those guys have long gone this is the modern version of that it, it's done its job yeah they've just they've got something that's memorable you know I, I, I doubt it you know it's probably not 
ridiculously cheap to get a lot of foam heads together, but it's probably not that difficult to do either. It's a cool little gimmick, you know. It's kind of like a a, a souvenir, something that if you're a, if you're a fan at the ECW arena, you get your own head, and you can you know do whatever you like to it. You can draw on it, you can stick things to it, you can do whatever. Um, and he comes out, and you can you can make noise with it, and you can bop along to the music. It's like, yeah, like yeah, we speak about. You know, give me something that's memorable. Don't give me something that's good. This might be both. Um, you know, it's not that good. Like this is a mid card act. Um, but Al Snow, a guy that's been knocking about forever, being a very good wrestler and not getting anywhere, seems now to have some kind of character that people are going to remember. Like, you know, if, if you get dragged along to an ECW show and you walk in and they're like, here's a foam head. You're like, what's going on? Your mate goes, just keep hold of it. It'll make sense in a bit. And then the music starts up and everyone starts to just, you know, rocking it up and down in the air. You're like, you, 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 you're, there's not much middle ground there. You're either going to really like it or be like, this isn't for me. Um, I like it. Um, you know, this was a, a good match in that sense. You know, I, it gives Joey Styles the excuse to rattle off a lot of innuendos and puns, you know, but he, it's better than a lot of his commentary sometimes. So, you know, there's that. Um, but yeah, a good match in, in the sense of what it set out to achieve. The right guy won and Al Snow's getting over as a mid-card comedy act. Works for everyone, I suppose. Who won next? Just Incredible with Jason and Nicole Bass versus the great Sasuke. Jason introduces Bass as the sexiest woman on earth. Sasuke starts with a flip dive onto the floor. That was great. We go into the crowd. Sasuke hits a springboard kick onto Credible. We go right over towards the bleachers and up towards the eagle's nest. We make the way back to the ring. Sasuke hits a body slam and goes for an armbar that seems to be used as a rest hold, which, you know... Not that I get the sense Sasuke's kind of, you know, comparing notes with Jerry Lynn, but that would be the kind of thing that would help. He spins that throw into a single leg high angle crowd that looks really nasty. Sasuke goes for something, but Jason trips him. He goes for a cartwheel dive over the top onto the floor, but his head does kind of crack off the apron as he does so. Thankfully, it appears to be fine. Credible exposes Sasuke's strapped up knee and smashes a chair into it next to the ring steps. Credible gets a chair, wraps it around Sasuke's knee, then smashes another chair over it. Sasuke nearly takes it with an inside cradle. Sasuke rallies on one leg, goes to the top, does a corkscrew moonshot, but just eats the mat. Credible hits a jumping tombstone and wins the match. Afterwards, Jason goes for the knee following the match. Hamada comes out and attacks Jason, but he gets laid out too. Dozens of people come out to tend to them afterwards, and Jason and Credible hightail it. Billy? Yeah, um... What can I say about this match? Um... I didn't really have any strong thoughts or opinions on it, really. Um, I think the one thing that really got to me was the fact that Credible spent a majority of the match working over the knee, and uh, then the match ended with a tombstone power driver. Now, I know that's Credible's finishing move, and they're trying to build that up with him beating people with it. But I just felt maybe he could have gone for a submission hold to finish the match as he spent most of the match... Uh, working over the knee. Chris? Um, I love Justin. Um, I'm, he's, again, as we said about Jerry Lynn earlier, he's the good heel side of good mid-card wrestler that they need to keep going with. Um, this mean streak in 
cheating side that he's done these last couple of months. See today in this match, and again with the uh, Mikey Whip match, where he zeroes in on something and targets it and does some really heinous stuff as well. Just makes him so shitty, and you just want to punch him. And then you add Jason to it, and now Nicole Bass as well, and it's just the perfect storm of just hate towards someone. Um, Sasuke, and we've said it before, Sasuke, when he's been here, he is a really, really good worker. You know, he's clearly one of the top guys in Mishinoku Pro and could quite easily sort of, you know, get a full-time job in the States, be it, you know, with the Fed in their burgeoning uh, light heavyweight division or in WCW in their cruiserweight division. Um, so there's there's definite upsides on him, and he could go anywhere. But you know, an awesome match, and hopefully, you know, we'll still see the Mishinoku guys in and about and doing more with with Justin and Jason. Yeah, I, I do kind of wonder whether it would have been slightly better had they have. Uh... Yeah, we talk about Naoiwa and Hamada in the earlier match, whether it would have been better trying to split them up in a situation like this. I mean, okay, maybe you don't want the Japanese guys going 0-3, um, but I feel like that match there was a filler. This match felt like Sasuke was here to help get Credible over, um, to make him more credible. Uh, the jokes don't get any better tonight. Um, but, like... You know, and that to me made sense. Chris, an interesting aside, because I, I largely agree with that, to echo everything both of you said in terms of the match. Um, is it, you know, the, the Nicole Bass thing and, and China, that's the goal? Is there any other, like, you know, there's three of them now? Like, uh, am I just randomly drawing a comparison to DX, or is there anything to that? Well, there's a little bit, because obviously Justin does like pointing and sort of doing that very strange version of look at my crotch with a slight chopping motion, slightly like what DX do with their crotch chop. Um, yes, there's going to be obvious sort of com- uh, comparisons between Bass and China because they're both rather big, muscular women. Um, but I think the difference is, obviously, in ECW, because of how tall she is, she dwarfs both Jason and Justin, sort of makes her slightly different than China. But, you know, there is obvious comparisons between the two groups. Um, I suppose it's a wait and see what they do with it. If they start going down, you know, dick innuendos and showing their asses and, you know, making signs about Christmas between with the butt cheeks, then we... We appear to have lost Chris. I'll, I'll jump in and hope he comes back. Um, Yeah, I, I mean, you know... DX can't exactly complain. I mean, admittedly, this is you know, mid-card at the moment, so it doesn't really matter. Um, DX can't really complain if someone's copying them because they're essentially copying the NWO, so I suppose it doesn't make a difference. Billy, your thoughts on that? Well, yeah. Um, there is some like strange rumours going around that they were going to call her China Syndrome, but I think that was uh, completely uh, shot down from Paul Heyman in the back. So... Yeah, she does look a lot like China if they're going to go down that route. She's well built, right? And she doesn't really look like China. She's just a jacked woman. 
yeah, that's that's what I sort of <laughs> was trying to get at. She's uh, very uh, a jacked woman, and um, if they were to go down that route, I don't know if it would make ECW look like second rate because they're trying to rip it off. Or um, I, I guess it, it, if you've if you've got enough guys with the right ideas creatively. You could do things in the cold bath that the WF presumably couldn't do with China on TV. Um, I don't know what that means, and to an extent, I don't particularly want to speculate on what that could mean in an ECW type contact with an ECW type audience. Um, but yes, possibly. I think it's, you know, um, uh, you know, the, the, I, I get the feeling at some point Chara's going to wrestle one of the guys in the WWF. Jacqueline did it with the, uh, with uh, whatever you call it, Disco Inferno last year. Like you, you could try and beat them to the punch on that. Not that you know, not that, that would matter. Not that it would necessarily make uh, make China doing it later any less impactful. It would just be there. Um, but yeah, like you know, it's uh, it, it's all well and fine. Chris, you back with us? I am still here. Yes. Excellent. We will carry on then. So if you're going for a break just now. Next up, it's Rob Van Dam with Bill Alfonso versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam whips up the crowd and gets us over underway. Fans chant over here in various parts of the floor section. Wanted to throw Van Dam to the fans like he did with Spike Dudley. They do know how much heavier Van Dam is, right? Van Dam starts throwing a load of kicks. Some even actually connect. Hits an Enziguri, then attempts a sunset flip off the top, but Bam Bam just sits on him. Fans chant LT, LT, LT at Bam Bam. 1998 and still no end in sight for that fucking whistle as Bam Bam lobs Van Damme across the ring. The over here chants are still going, but they do seem to be coming from people that are well out of catching range, which is interesting if nothing else. Van Damme jumps on Bigelow's shoulders and gets, he just gets smashed with a powerbomb. Van Damme gains some control on the floor with a chair shot and a psychic over the guardrail. He climbs to the top, jumps off onto Bam Bam in the first row of the crowd. I'm not sure how many, how much actually connected, but that was at least the plan. Van, Ta- Van Damme returns to the top and with Bam Bam in an area of the crowd section now devoid of both fans and chairs. Hits what I can only describe as an absolute swan dive of a crossbody into the fans. That looked great. Very well shot too. Van Damme goes for a monkey flip. Bam Bam Bigelow paces him on the turnbuckle. He goes for a drop kick from the top. Bam Bam blocks that and then follows it with a big catapult into the turnbuckle. Ouch, read my notes as Bam Bam goes to the top and attempts to send on Splash. Van Damme attempts to roll out of the way. He does, but Bam Bam's so big, he kind of just smashes into Van Damme's leg. It didn't look fun at all. Alfonso gets involved. Bam Bam throws him onto Van Damme. A missed spin kick sends the ref tumbling, so Bam Bam hits him with a chair and then does just a shoulder tackle with the chair and sends Van Damme flying off of the apron and into the crowd. That was great. Just kind of smashed him off the apron. Candido runs out and eats a big tombstone. Out comes Sonny, of all people. But, uh, you know, it's always, it's always worth remembering that Sonny is at a lot of these ECW shows, but generally never appears. So it's not like people are expecting it. Bam Bam picks her up and the fan are absolutely baying for him to chuck her into the crowd. Francine runs out, wearing very little. Bam Bam picks her up too, and he's got one on each shoulder. Douglas then run, runs out and kicks him in the bollocks. Van Damme hits a big frog splash on the Bam Bam. The ref comes to and counts the three. Uh, Billy, I, I think this was where the show started to pick up for me. Uh, yes, though, no, I really enjoyed this match. I think both of these guys are awesome. I rate them very highly. Um, I, argument could be made that this was Bam Bam Bigelow's best match uh, in ECW or ever, really. Um, 
the finish was, yeah, the finish, you know, I, it's ECW, you got to expect lots of run-ins, but I was generally, like, shocked by the fact that Sunny ran in. I did not expect to see her get involved in any way whatsoever. Uh, I was a bit worried for Candino. I didn't think it was wise for him to be getting in there. But, uh, no, I like this match apart, like, from the finish, um, with all the run-ins and then RVD beating a distracted Bam Bam. I saw it, I suppose it sort of keeps Bam Bam Bigelow strong, but it gives, uh, Rob Van Dam a big scalp to have taken, taken in the ECW. Chris. Yeah, um, again, another awesome match. Um, RVD showing that he can do his shit against a bigger lad. Um, cause obviously most of the time he's resting guys around the same sort of size as him. So seeing him do the stuff that he can do to a big lad also looks awesome. Um, I would say this is Bam Bam's second best match. Um, I still like the one with him and Shane, uh, uh November to remember, even though, you know, Bam Bam was on the losing side of it, but he worked so well as a heel in the place when he should have been a face. Um, he was but, on the lose, losing side of this one as well, just to point that out. Yeah, uh, but it's one of those, just his work, he, it shows that he can do so well when you think of how he was wasted in the Fed and even back even further back when he was in WCW. You know, he's never really had a great crack of the whip in the bigger divisions. Um, but again, awesome match. Great to see Shane back as well. So all is good. And Francine wrote not remembering how to do up a dress was always good to see as well. Yes. Um, Yes, that, that, that was, yeah, um, I'll, you'll have to watch the video. I can't really describe that, although it's pretty bloody obvious. Um, this was very good. Um, there's a lot to say about Vader when it comes to big man wrestling, but I think Vader is a proper powerhouse that can do a moonsault. Batman Bigelow is a really, really versatile big man in that he can, he can move about a lot more. He can jump around and bounce around and that kind of thing. This was a fantastic match. Um, so many really nice set pieces, crowd really, really invested. And this is one of the things that makes this match stand out from a lot of the matches that we see on the show so far is that you've got the fans invested, which means the guys can just stand there, mouth off the crowd and get a big reaction. Bam Bam's got his thing going with lobbing people into the crowd. So they're all up about that. Van Damme's got Bill Alfonso by his side as if Van Damme didn't have enough going for himself as it is. And, you, you add all of this, what I would call noise, and then you remind yourself, it's a really bloody good match, too. Um, there's some really nice set pieces. Um, the swan dive, the, 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 the flying crossbody, I mean, don't get wrong, at least about 50% of it is really well shot. Um, but the kind of, kind of underneath Van Damme's, he goes for a proper, like, diving crossbody into the fans that really, really nice. The moment when Van Damme's on the apron and Bam Bam just kind of bumps him off and he ends up kind of flying into the first row, really, really good as well. Um, a bit of a funky finish, but as I say, on a show where it was largely okay on that front, um, and, probably the right guy won. I mean, I guess Douglas came out and interfered, which is always going to be their cover. Um, but yes, I would absolutely like to see more of these two. Um, you know, Bam, as I say, he's so versatile and Van Damme's so good that I, I feel like these two could have three or four matches in a row and they can make them all very, very different. Um, but you know, one so far, so good. 
We cut, presumably following an interval with Joe Styles in the ring for what I imagine will open hardcore TV. He brings out Taz with a towel on his head. Taz starts to speak and then out comes Lance Wright. Taz, and we're watching the uncensored version of this show, invites Wright to get his cunt ass into the ring before calling him a cocksucker. Wright claims his bodyguard is the back bench in the back bench pressing 800 pounds. As you can see, I don't need a workout. Joey Styles, as is his way, ridiculously oversells every single line the heel says. Wright introduces Flash Funk wrestling under the name Flash Funk. Funk gets big welcome back chance for st- cutting Styles off and telling him to introduce him as Two Cold Scorpio. Scorpio completes the face turn by laying out right and hitting him with a big moonsault. And up next it is Taz versus Two Cold Scorpio. Scorpio has a bit of a marlet going these days, or at least I thought he did. It turns out it was just uh, a big ponytail. That's like a bit weird, whatever it was. He great vines a leg and Taz gets to the ropes. Not a usual Taz match so far. Not many suplexes early as Taz lets his opponent get a lot of offense in. He gets sent into the guardrail and then sends Scorpio into the front row. He kind of punches Scorpio over the top. Scorpio lands with a splat but quickly recovers running Taz over with a chair shot. Scorpio hits a powerbomb and heads to the top for the first time. It's a big splash for a two. He returns to the top, hits a cannonball, another two. Something's never changed. Taz busts out a side suplex for a two. He follows that with a belly to back from the bottom rope, if that makes sense. That looks awkward more than anything else. Scorpio hits a lovely moonsault. Seems like he's been away long enough for the fans have forgotten that he never wins a match with any of his big moves. Taz kicks out and fans chant a boo, followed by chanting bullshit. Scorpio hits a 450 splash. He literally only has the shooting star press to go for completing the Grand Slam. Taz gets thrown into the corner. Scorpio goes for a bizarre-looking jumping discus clothesline. Taz catches him into the Taz mission and wins the match. Taz exits the ring and leaves Scorpio to lap up the plaudits afterwards. Out comes Lance Wright and Doug Furness. After a brief exchange, Furness hits a belly-to-belly superplex off the second rope. Taz comes back out and hits a belly-to-belly on Furness. Then hits a T-bone on Wright and onto Wright's bodyguard. I can see a tag match coming here, but they just end up scarpering. Taz, as he normally does, cuts his usual promo. Well, I say usual promo. He starts by saying, I don't do this a lot, even though he does. He says he hasn't heard of Flash Funk, and any time you want to wrestle for a real promotion, you're welcome in my locker room. Although, obviously, add a bit more Queens to that impression would be what I would say. Uh, Chris, what do you think of this match? This was, again, another awesome match. Um, it's great to see the old two Cold Scorpio and not the version that we are so used to seeing as Flash Funk um, in the Fed. Um, it just, again, sort of reminiscing of, of times when Scorpio was was allowed to do his stuff and was awesome. It was really, really good. Seeing Taz fighting someone different, again, showing Taz off as good as he is, and showing that Taz isn't just suplex, suplex, squash match, that he has been as of recent. So, yeah, really, really awesome match, and I'm quite glad that this one was put on the TV for Hardcore TV, so people will and can see it. Billy? Yeah, I was happy to see um, Two Cold Scorpio in the ring rather than Flash Funk. Um, obviously, in the, the Fed, he's really not doing much. And uh, in ECW, uh, you think back to these great matches with Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko uh, in 1995 and, um, and everything. And uh, how, again, that 
wrestler was able to show up and have this match with Taz after doing so little in the Fed over the last year. Um, it was, uh, like Chris said, it was an awesome match and um, really happy to see two cold back, even if it is just for one night only. Yeah, um, you wonder why they don't send him back permanently. I guess, well, contracts are always going to be a thing, but uh, this is very, very good. I'd love to see Scorpio back. Uh, the usual problems, you know, he's, he's capable of doing all these big moves and yet none of them seem to matter. Um, seems like he's been away long enough where a lot of the fans have forgotten that, which is, is something else. Um, you know, but the, the match was, was good. You know, Scorpio coming out as Flash Funk and then kind of kind of turning face by telling him to announce his two cards Scorpio was nice. Um and yeah, like Taz is Taz is pretty reliable. As is Scorpio. Um you kinda know what you're gonna get from both of them. This is exactly the kind of match you would have expected. You're gonna lay out a match in ECW between these two. This is exactly how it would have gone. Taz would have given Scorpio a lot of time. Scorpio would have done a lot of impressive shit. None of it would have mattered and then Taz would have just smashed on a Taz mission at the end for the win. Which is exactly what happened. Um the stuff with Wright, you know, is what it is. Um but yeah, fine match. Uh, if it is Scorpio one well and done, it sounds like it is. Um, a good use for him. You know, I, I think the, when we're gonna come to rate this show, the, the show will be disproportionately good for the addition of Scorpio. And then it added one more good match, probably the, the one extra match the show needed to make it what I think was a, a very, very good show. Anyway. We move on outcome the Dudleys. I'm going to suggest setting in for a long Joel Gertner promo here. We start with Devon, who fans chant, you fat fuck out. Well, honestly, it could be about any of them, I suppose. Devon then goes, your mother, bitch. Gertner calls the fans fat and says they worship heads made of styrofoam. Gets a great reaction from the crowd. He runs down the Dudley's achievements. Well, they defeated the FBI and then he continues the bullshit lineage stated at the start of the show. He then introduces himself as Joe, harder than the tree that hits Sonny Bono. I've got you. That's a a, a reference to uh, Sonny Bono, who I, I think passed away about a week earlier after skiing into a tree, I think, or something like that. Uh, he then does a really, really good intro of Devon Dudley, all 196 pounds here, apparently. Oh, and Bubba Ray, Bam Bam Dudley, ba ba blow me, motherfucker. Right. After, after all of that, and uh, that was the, uh, the truncated version, I should say. And we were next to the Dudleys, Bubba Ray Devon, a big dick with Psycho versus New Jack Cronus and Spike Dudley. It's exactly as you'd expect, rap music on the speakers, the usual wild brawl. Spike gets lobbed into the fans. Bubba hits Spike with a broken guitar, not many notes on this match, it is just, you know, a load of relentless noise and things going on. New Jack is one on three in the ring, gets hit over the head with a desk in tray, I think. Spike hits a running bulldog on the first two, but attempts one on Big Dick and gets lobbed through the timekeeper's table. Cronus hits a lovely 450 splash, but Sign Guy breaks up the pin. I suspect Cronus will have a little mercy here as he goes to hit a 450 and does so. And now Gertner gets involved. The music is still gro- going, rather, groaning, whatever. Cronus hits a th- eats a 3D and the Dudleys win the match. My notes end with silence is a wonderful thing. Billy? Yeah, um, I really enjoyed this uh, ECW-style walking brawl. Um, it had everything that I wanted from it. Um, I don't know how long they've been doing a gimmick of uh, the music playing in the background where they have the Natural Born Killers playing, but I thought that was a nice... A, a long time. Okay, uh, I, 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 was... I suspect that if you've... 
I mean, Chris can weigh on this as well because he might feel a little bit differently about the, the choice of music as well. Uh, it, it's it's worn off the novelty, uh, in my opinion, because um, they blare it through the speakers and it's pretty relentless. But like with a lot of things in ECW, I think the first or second time you see it, it's probably quite cool. So I don't blame you for thinking that. The the thing with with the music is it would be fine if that you know with the first point when they. When New Jack isn't on the on the up, it was then finished. It's like this on this one. It, it played through twice. Um, I think the most I've heard it play through is four times. I don't want to hear Natural. I like Natural Killer. I like Ice Cube and Dre, but I don't need to hear the same song four times in a row. Yeah, because I, I feel like they used to do it where they they play it while New Jack and Mustafa ran out. They'd be brawling for a while and then they'd lose the impetus in the match and they'd turn it off. Um, but more recently, it has just been relentless, and it is quite difficult to watch. I suspect it's a bit more fun in the arena. Go on, Billy, carry on. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> just that I thought it was like really cool the way the whole presentation and everything came across on screen with the music playing in the background. Obviously, you guys uh, have listened to it far too much. Um, I'm still the noob guy, so I, I, this is like really the first time I've, I've seen it, and I really thought it came across really well. Um, I can't. <laughs> uh, it's just a good old-fashioned ECW walking brawl. I haven't really got much else to say about it. Chris, it was as we always must have a walking bar brawl of the night, and as always, it was what we expect to see from them. There was interesting weapon choices. There was. Very, very sick shots with said weapons, and we saw the 3D. Um, Joel Gertner at the beginning of this is awesome, and I always, always love hearing what randomness is going to come out of his mouth. Um, and thankfully, this wasn't that long of a match as well. So, you know, we got our quota of walking violence, but it didn't outstay its welcome. Yeah, I feel like you feel you'd be shortchanged if you didn't go to an ECW show and get one match like this. Um, you know, I don't think it would have... Uh, it's one of those matches that would not have been any better had it been 30 seconds longer or 5 minutes or 10 minutes. Like, it was, it, it did not outstay its welcome just. Um, you know, the music is a bit relentless. Uh, it is just a real kind of drone in the background. As I say, I suspect it works a little bit better in the arena. Um, but as, as, as on, as on video, it is kind of just hard to concentrate. Um, but yeah, as has been said, we say it's quite a lot, particularly about ECW. There are certain types of ECW matches that once you've seen a couple of times, you don't need to see again. Or you, or sorry, once you've seen a couple of times, you know exactly what you're getting at least. Uh, I suppose to an extent that's the same thing. This is exactly that. But we move on now to something that wasn't quite what we, uh, well, perhaps what we would have expected, but certainly not something we uh, see every day in ECW. The main event, it's Sabu versus the Sandman. Sabu alongside Bill Alfonso in a stairway to heaven, uh, stairway to hell back to rather. Basically, rather than Sandman going backstage and lugging out a ladder, they're just taking it out there for him. Uh, and they're stuck some barbed wire at the top, as you do. Sabu has a cane on him already. Sandman actually surrenders it to, uh, or oh, sorry, Sam has a cane on him already. Sandman actually surrenders it to Jim Molyneux. Sabu trips Sandman and drops the ladder onto him straight away. 
Alfonso's in the match already. He holds the chair of a Sandman. So boom, there's a guillotine leg drop onto the chair, onto the Sandman, who's kind of draped over his ladder sideways. Sabu heads to the top and hits an Arabian face buster onto the ladder. We go by the eagle's nest. Sabu sets up a table and he puts Sandman through it. Class to the concrete position and does a rain leg drop through the table. Sandman is quickly up and drops an elbow, sending Sabu tumbling to the floor. Sandman, of course, suplexes the ladder onto Sabu on the floor before seesawing off of it onto the guardrail into Sabu's face. Sam lays Sabu on top of the ladder that's bridging the apron of the guardrail. Then there's a leg drop onto it and the ladder kind of barely gives way. Very surprised they did that spot. Given that the ladder still is quite useful in its upright position afterwards. But there we are. He climbs to the top of the ladder, reaches for a piece of barbed wire. Sabu gets up, pushes the ladder and Samman tumbles off the ladder, falls over the top rope and through. I think it's two tables on the floor. That looked fucking brilliant. Sandman probably dropped about 15 feet from the ladder as he was falling. And, and for once, fair play, that is a properly good bump, taken very, very well. Not that you'd necessarily know. It's the difference with Sandman. Uh, but he took that really well, did a proper front flip, and uh, went back first through, through tables on the outside. Sandman, of course, takes the barbed wire and wraps himself around him. Sabu, meanwhile, is nursing a jaw injury after he cracked into the guardrail. And this follows on from... Uh, from what happened last month with Sabu and his jaw. Sabu takes the bar bar and wraps it around Sandman's head. He then attacks him with some scissors. Where's Sid when you need him? Sabu puts Sandman in a tree of woe, puts a chair in front of his bar bar face, and then Sabu drop kicks the chair. Sabu does a running jump off of the chair. Sandman tries to get out of the way. He then gets the cane and whacks Sabu with it. Sabu's then laying on the apron, and Alfonso literally, and I know this happened last month, but I don't believe it was televised, Alfonso then literally just starts taping up Sabu's jaw. Like, he just gets some tape. I think he went to the back to get it, because he, he had his jaw taped up previously. And he's just winding tape around Sabu's face, because that's perfectly normal. Salmon hits the Arabian face buster uh, so onto uh, Salmon, who's on the move, Sabu even. Salmon gets up, whacks Sabu with a cane, and wins the match. Chris, weigh in on all this mentalness. Well, this was brutal. And actually in a good way compared to that match a few months ago when we called it brutal because it was hideous. These two have finally actually got their groove together and making their shit look semi-professional. You know, it's not them lumbering around and sort of looking awful when they fall off things. It's exactly what you want to see and expect from these two who clearly are happy enough to fuck each other up. Um, obviously, Samman, we've seen it before, where in the middle of a match, he's torn his bicep open, give me some tape, I'll tape it up and carry on. We've seen it with his jaw before last month, where it's fine, I'll tape it up and carry on. And again today, just tape it up and carry on. That's some can-do spirit there from Sabu. That's what we like to see. I mean, yes, that's one way of describing it. Uh, Billy, how would you describe it? Oh, how can you describe this match? Um, it was everything that I wanted it to be. Um, it had the crazy brawling, um, the big, big bumps, the insane ladder spot that I just, oh, I wouldn't have expected either of them to be able to pull this match off coherently, but. They seem to be able to do it, and um, 
basically um, <laughs> left us with a, a match to remember. It will go down in ECW history as um, probably one of the biggest, best encounters that the company has had up to this point. Yeah, I mean, not that, not that it necessarily matters. But the one thing you can generally say about ECW is a lot of great ECW matches were never main events of shows. You know, a lot, a lot of the, the big, great import matches were kind of third, fourth on the card. Even a lot of matches that stand out in my own mind weren't necessarily main events. But they probably were 94. You know, that was back when a time when Sabu was, was main eventing. The other guys like, you know, Cactus Jack and Chris Benoit, those guys were in main events. Um... But as, as good as the ECW tag team division was in the early days, that generally was main eventing a lot of the shows. And generally they weren't having barn burning matches. There were more kind of angles and stories. Um, Chris, in, in, in a list of ECW main events, I'm struggling to think of one. I'm sure the one exists. Uh, a match as good as this. Um, well, I'll obviously call out the November to remember main event with Shane and Bam Bam. Um, sure. For- a, a pay-per-view main event that worked um but yeah you're right normally main events aren't you know the highest of priorities in ecw and these two i see where you think that there, there was a run of about a year and a half where main events were sandman and raven yeah or you know sandman and uh tommy dreamer we we did or mikey whitbreck yeah yeah there, there was insert a blank here and they weren't even title matches because Shane would be the main event coming out of the interval normally. So, you know, it is, it is nice to see a card work its way to a crescendo instead of having its biggest and best moment in the middle. This was great. Um, these two have a weirdly brilliant chemistry in the sense that in theory, like, you shouldn't be able to take two crazy acts and make them work in the sense that craziness stands out alongside normality. And yet, these two like, both have very, very little regard for their own safety. Very little. Um, you know, and, and as much as they're both so similar, they're both wildly different in the sense that Sabu is a very, very good wrestler. Sandman is not... But yet they have the common goal of one they are very, very happy to, more than almost anyone else we cover, like he put these two in the same category as as Cactus Jack and not many others, put their body well beyond the normal line, normal call of duty for a wrestler. And also they're both very, very willing to do really, really stupid shit. Um, and this match had its fair share. That ladder bump is really impressive. Sabu picks up the ladder that Sandman's three quarters of the way up and just kind of tips it over. Sandman starts toppling it over, does a proper front flip over the top rope and through, I think it's two tables on the outside. What a great bump that was. There were a couple of others from Sandman that looked really, really good. Not for the first time, he's done some really weird shit. And then Sabu whacks his face on the guardrail and he carries on. He's got his jaw problems going in. And then he just cuts this shot. But Alfonso just winding tape around Sabu's face. Like, uh, possibly the most bizarre thing I will ever see in a wrestling match. Someone, like, gaffer taping someone's jaw closed because it's broken. 
and because Sabu is uh, is stupid enough to carry on. Pretty much, it just proves that Sabu is a mentalist. A little bit, uh, a little bit, uh, and that will will end our review of the show. Chris, your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of ten. As I said, ECW have come out of the traps with a very very high benchmark to hold the year up and for everyone else to follow. Um, other than you know the slight downer of Naniwa and the Naniwa match, the rest of this card is awesome and pretty much the highlights of everything you want to see in ECW. It's a big fat nine. Billy. Oh, right. Well, for me, this was a bit of a hit and a miss show. Um, I would say that it wasn't as great as uh, the ECW Gangster's Paradise in 1995. Uh, that was uh, one of my favourite shows that they've ever done. Um, if I was to give this show a rating, I would say a 7 out of 10. I think I'll split the difference and say 8. Um, a, a, a show consistently at least good. There's not much bad on this show, which admittedly isn't the highest praise for, for, for a show I'm going to give 8 to. Um, but for me, two very, very good, memorable standout matches... Like as much as I am way behind on the match of the year on the website front, I'll get round to them at some point for 1997. I feel like Van Dam and Bam Bam Bigelow in the main event will be right up there in ECW's best matches of 1998. If not, good luck. Um, and Taz and Two Cold Scorpio might not be far behind either. Um, you know that combined with some. Uh, I might, I might be giving them too much credit, calling it good booking for the first half of the show, maybe just competent. You know, opening match, competently booked. Uh, the, the, the good undercar wrestling, competently booked. Uh, the stuff with Al Snow, competently booked. Um, but you know, like everything was at least fine on the undercard. Two very, very memorable matches, one not far behind either. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, eight out of ten's the first score.
the surgeon who performed the four-hour surgery, Dr. Larry Bell, gave me his professional opinion earlier this week in his Again, we're at the Golden Dome in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, just about 10 minutes away from the home of the franchise, Shane Douglas, and this is indeed a historic night. I said the same thing. So I went to see Dr. Dean Zaperianis yesterday at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center before the show of Ross Draper, and his advice was, after reading the surgeon's advice, was that I'm done. Quite frankly, this was not unexpected, but it's still a shock nonetheless. I my mind back and forth. I'll retire. I won't retire. I'm done. I'm not done. And surgeons have said I'm done. And they phoned the State Athletic Commission and told them I'm done. And they in turn have said I'm done. So I guess I'm done. TV of the month. Uh, Chris, take us through. I think this is a, yeah, this is a, a, a fresh set of TV from a fresh show. Um, with uh, I think match-wise, perhaps not a lot to discuss, but a few storylines that are starting to develop as we head towards May uh, March's pay-per-view, I should say. Yeah. So we are at the Golden Dome in Pittsburgh. I should also point out there are two other TV shows that they are in entirety. They cover matches from the House Party show we just reviewed. Uh, carry on, Chris, as you were. Yeah, so as I said, we are in the Golden Dome in Pittsburgh, and we see Shane Douglas cutting a promo. He says he has a big announcement. He said he got injured dur- during that title match with Bam Bam. The doctors have told him that he's done. He's been told by two specialists that he's done, and the State Athletic Commission that he's done. But he's actually done of listening to doctors and he will not tire, retire with the belt in. We then see Bam Bam in front of Joel Gertner, or not Joel Gertner, Joey Styles even, um, saying that he's going to finish his work and he needs to find a partner so he can take out the triple threat. We then see Bam Bam going on a little wander through the arena. He finds Al Snow and Head, who offered to be his partner, but... Bam Bam walks off because he doesn't want to be with the crazies. He then goes to a cupboard where Taz is, calls on Taz to be his partner. Taz says no. Bam Bam bangs on the door repeatedly, telling him to do the right thing. We then are meant to have a match between Big Dick Dudley and Adam Flash. But as Flash is about to leave the backstage area to go through the curtain, he's taken out by Taz. Taz then goes down, shoots Big Dick, hits some clubbing forearms. Big Dick tries to go for a chokeslam, but that's turned into a German Tazplex, bangs on a Taz mission and gets the win. Bubba and Devon get dumped on their heads too. Taz then grabs a mic and calls out Bam Bam. And he says that no one singles out Taz. 
We then get highlights from Wrestlepalooza 97 of Shane and Taz. We then see Paul Diamond and Al Snow. They still open the match with a brawl to the outside, Diamond using Chastity as a shield to get his advantage. He hits a spin kick and a bulldog, and a leg whip float over DDT. Chastity tries to have a popper out, but misses and then gets hit with a double noggin knocker. Head then grabs, Al then grabs head even. Chastity tries to slap him again, and she gets head. Then we get massive you fucked up chance from the crowd as Diamond eats head too. Snowplow on Paul and gets the win and then he hits a snowplow on Chastity too. Then head pins Chastity for the win. We then see a video package showing RVD in the all round weightlifting association. They're talking about a lift that Van Dam has invented called the Van Dam lift, where he lifts weights whilst in the splits. In doing so, they show him breaking or creating a world record. We then get backstage promo from the triple threat who called Bam Bam a fool. He's not loyal and says whatever he wants, but this is a shoot. We then see Al Snow hanging out with Head, literally hanging upside down from a weight rack, talking to Head. Where's his car? Where's his car? After I'm done killing the triple threat myself, I'm gonna give you a world title shot at the belt that needs everything. My TV belt. Thanks, man. Oh, thanks, my ass. You're gonna be my partner, right? Oh, brother. I'm gonna be your savior. Then end the show with Bam Bam outside trying to stop Taz's car, telling him that Taz needs to prove himself and be his partner. Taz says yes, and he'll also give him a title shot too. Batman does start begging at one point as well to make that. Um, an interesting show to finish. Well, as I say, I don't think there's much on the on the in-ring standpoint. Uh, Billy, weigh in wherever you like. I mean, I've got 
three talking points. Uh, if, if nothing else steps up and I've got the Douglas kind of fake retirement at the start, Bam Bam's story throughout the show and also the, the Van Damme list. So pick off any of those that you'd like to discuss or anything else that came up from the show. Well, yeah, um, I suppose the, the Douglas fake retirement angle um, sort of came across very baby faceish, baby faceish in the way that he was delivering the promo. But then, I, you know, as it was in Pittsburgh, uh, that's his hometown. It's obviously going to come across that way. Um, uh, nothing really else to add apart on the show, really. Chris, um, yeah. It- Obviously, with it being at the Golden Dome, the the home of where Douglas's biggest triumph in ECW has been, you know, that third title win, probably the best match he had for a title match, and also where he was given a hero's welcome, seems the perfect place to do this angle of, you know, being told that he should have retired and shouldn't be able to wrestle again and should never be cleared but has come back and will be back. You know, it's the one place in in the States where that's the perfect reaction for it because it should be seen with that level of hero's welcome. Um, so I think it worked for where it was. I mean, if he'd have done it in the arena, he'd have probably got the heel reaction and got chewed out and, you know, he'd have got show you tits, French scene. Chance to during the. I hope he's not getting show your tits franchise chance. That'd be very very different. <laughs> that'd, be a, that'd be a very very different show. Uh, Chris, any thoughts on the the Van Dam stuff or, or Bam Bam? Uh, well, the Van Dam stuff just shows how impressive this lad really is. Because I can't think of anyone that should be doing the splits and lifting weights, and I can't see anyone taking that challenge on for his world record um but yeah i think the main part of this this week's tv was the bam bam story arc you know i'm not sure what i think of it because bam bam comes across saying that you know he doesn't need any help and that he's big and bad but then being really really needy and begging taz and Taz to then at the end go, okay, I'll be your partner, which is one thing, which is fine. But then to throw in, oh, you can have a title match as well, just seemed a little odd. Yeah, um, the Douglas stuff works really well. Um, it, it, you know, it is ECW's light version of the Bret Hart thing in the WWF. We don't have to use that in the past tense. Um, you know. Brett could be the heel in America and then he goes home and it kind of doesn't really matter what happens. He's still the face. Douglas can do whatever he likes in Philadelphia or anywhere else. He's the heel. Goes to Pittsburgh and everyone loves him. It's just this really weird dynamic. It's kind of good. Like it's, it's kind of nice just to have this one place where Douglas is liked. Um, it, it means that you can, you can kind of anticipate it, know it's coming and you can kind of work around it. Uh, I like the stuff with Van Damme. It's a little different, right? But it's memorable, which I quite like. It's a little out of the ordinary. Van Damme basically with his, you know, trying to lift like a hundred pounds in this like barbell type weight. And as if like Moses couldn't fucking do that anyway, he then does the splits on this beam while he does it. Um, 
yeah, he pulled it off too. You can't complain about that. And yeah, the, the, the Bam Bam stuff, we talk about Bam Bam being a good all-round performer, like a wrestler, he's a good all-round performer. Uh, whether it fits the character is a fair question, but I think it's the, it's the situation of, I could probably take three of them if they're all in front of me, but you know, I can't have eyes in the back of my head. Um, that's always going to be the thing that kind of makes sense. And, you know, sometimes you've got to crowbar something in to set up what is effectively two matches. As for Taz's situation regarding offering people title shots, that's kind of what Taz does. Taz is the kind of guy that's so confident he's going to beat you. Yeah, I'll put a title on the line. You're not going to win it. Like, you know, I, I, I don't mind that either. Um, to me, this is quite a good 45 minutes. I said the wrestling's not that good, but the wrestling's not that big a part of the show. It's a lot of promos, stories, dicking about with Van Damme and Alfonso. Uh, I quite like it. And I think, uh, that will wrap up this month's show. Uh, a big thank you firstly to Chris Lacey. Chris, thank you very much. As always, it's a pleasure. Uh, lots to promote that on the farm for me. So, so Chris, tell the people about your podcast, plural, and anything else you'd like to promote. Yeah, so Super Brawls is back off its hiatus. We just released the Halloween Havoc 93 show, which may have the single creepiest sort of beginning promo ever with Tony Giovanni offering kids yes. into his house to have sweets and a real scare. Which, when you have it in just Creep, audio creepy form... in the sense that it, it's it's just Tony Schiavone, right? It's just yeah. Tony Schiavone opening his front door. Yeah, and having it in just audio form as well. If we put it at the beginning of the show, sounds even dodgier than just watching it. Uh, so yeah, that's back. We have we're recording Clash this coming week, which then means within before the next Wrestling Twenty Year Ago uh, taping, we should have done Battle Bowl. <laughs> so you know, I may be feeling next month. Sends a shiver down my spine just thinking about it. Um, that is Super Bowl. So you also yeah. have another podcast because yeah. if you weren't busy enough. And my I, I also tell people where they can find Super Bowls. I kind of cut you off before you finish as well. Yeah, Super Bowls can be found as all good podcasts can on iTunes and on Podbean. Um, on Twitter, we are at Super Brawls. And if you want some music, um, there's 75 episodes of Show and Tell the Tunes out, um, literally ranging from all sorts, you know, metal, country, folk, jazz, Japanese music. It's all there and all free for consumption. And uh, that can be found, as always, as I said, on iTunes and Podbean. Just search Show and Tell the Tunes. And on Twitter, Estel with Dunes. Billy Johnson, Billy, thank you very much. Oh, thank you for letting me come on your show. Uh, no problem at all. You've got a lot to promote too, I think. I haven't really done my, my, I've really done my due diligence on that front, but promote away of anything you'd like. Uh, yes, I, I will promote um, myself and my friend's uh, blog, which is at Brit Rest Review on Twitter. We review all of uh, the latest British wrestling shows. Um, and you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Billy underscore J83. If you really just want, if you want to follow me, that's fine. You don't have to. <laughs> right, a, a, a very confident pitch there at the uh, at the end. How, how is the British wrestling scene doing? I kind of zoned out. I I got bored of standing elbow exchanges, so I kind of went, ah, fuck it. I can't be arsed anymore. This is about eighteen months ago. I've been to a show since. What's the what's the British wrestling scene like? Oh, it's still very, very hot out there. Um, 
we got lots of good promotions. Uh, Fight Club Pro uh, up in Wolverhampton seem to be well. It's certainly one of my favourites. I do like Red Pro, and I will be going to a show tomorrow. Um, I can't like um, <laughs> I can't say that like um, people still aren't doing the standing elbow exchanges. They're still doing it, and you know if that's what they want to do, that's up to them. If that's what people want to see, it's fine. I just decided that that style wasn't really for me. I couldn't. Really, it was just it was uh, it was saber and um, shibata, I think. Um, oh, right. and yeah, yeah. They just stood there, and one does a big elbow, and goes oh, and then they rock around, and then saber does one. It's like no, this isn't. This doesn't look real. Like the, the, the only thing that looks more ridiculous in wrestling is the whole thing Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn do, where they'll they'll fight by just repeatedly punching each other at the same time, really, really quickly, and nothing happens. It's like that's not how punches work. If you hit someone hard enough, they go down, right? Like if you if you're able to both do that at the same time, these punches don't hurt. And yet no one's told that. Um, but yes, I also have far too much old wrestling to watch. Speaking of which, a couple of the shows were right, etc., etc. Uh, yes, we have three volumes for this one. This is volume number three. Volume number one takes the WWF looking at the Royal Rumble. Volume number two takes the WCW looking at Sold Out. While I remember, very nice to watch an ECW show this month and have the original soundtrack. I'm sure Chris will validate that point. Yes. Uh, the, uh, having the Prodigy and ACDC and other Alice in Chains and stuff was much better than generic WWE Network sort of similar-ish music. And it does make a difference. Even as someone that doesn't particularly care for music of that style or whatever, I mean, I, I do like ACDC a bit, I'll admit. Um, it does make a difference. It does make it feel more authentic. Not that, I, you know, not this was otherwise a good show. Uh, yes, this is volume number three. Uh, we're on Patreon for five bucks a month. You'd like to say thank you and or get early access to our shows. You can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 wires. I will try and get on the whole giving early access. I've done it about four months. Um, but I should be able to get this one out in the next couple of days. Um, and yeah, we're on the website, wrestling20yrs.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at wrestling20yrs. Lots of other stuff going on. I'm way behind the website stuff. I've got to keep writing. I've got like a, I've got 8,000 word WWF end of year review being written at the moment. Like I've much released it as a book. Um, so yeah, lots of stuff to go on the website. I'm a bit behind. Hopefully in the next four to six weeks I can catch all of that up. Uh, that will do that. I've been Bob Bamber. This has been volume number three of the January 1998 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>